Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo and a white female too, saving the millennial generation in weekly installments. Live from a castle tower and his mother's basement, this is Beauty and the Beta. And we will make America great again. Hello and welcome to the show. It's a great show. It's a terrific show. It's a tremendous show. Frankly, the best. Ask anyone. That's what Jill Stein says about her scam recount fundraising anyway. This <laughs> is Beauty and the Beta. My name is Matt Christensen. I am flanked on my right, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Rebecca Blonde. Welcome. Hello. And who have we here? Mike Cernovich. Find him at dangerandplay.com, author of Gorilla Mindset, MAGA Mindset, podcast host, documentary filmmaker. Mike, welcome to the show. And did I miss Thanks. any of your mini titles there? Yes. I did. Which one did I miss? Oh, no, no. I was just saying yes, <laughs> acknowledging. acknowledging. <laughs> I was going to say, I was, I was looking in your bio and picking out the highlights, and there's a lot of things to select from, so I wanted to be fair and list them all. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it's a uh, it's a great show tonight. We got lots of topics to cover with Mike, including his thoughts uh, on the alt right and Richard Spencer and Company's recent controversial antics at that conference of theirs. We'll talk about Mike's new free speech documentary. It's called Silenced. Uh, I just watched it last night, and it was a joy. We'll talk uh, some fake news generally, and I also want to sneak in some conversation about this week's attack at Ohio State University if I can. And maybe if there's extra time, we'll talk about Jill Stein's uh, forever failing recount bid, if we can fit that into. But it'll be all this and more on your favorite hour listening material. Thank you for liking the show on YouTube. Thank you for reviewing the show on iTunes. Thank you for keeping us afloat, helping us upgrade stuff on Patreon. Thank you for emailing us. That's beautyandthebeta at gmail.com. And remember, there's more of the show over on those audio platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean, Stitcher. Subscribe and listen over there if you prefer. Plus, there's extra material you won't find on YouTube. So, logistics out of the way. Welcome to the show, Mike. We're happy to have you. I think the first thing on my mind is your reaction to the election, your reaction to the Trumpening. Because I went back and I watched you on Rubin Report, and I, and I think you were somebody who was, uh, you had good foresight on Trump and why people like Trump and why he had a good chance. So I'm curious. Didn't you, you release a uh, mega mindset months before the election? Oh uh, yeah. Weeks before I'm actually looking for the promo copy. My brandy game is weak right now. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. I, I released it before the election as kind of my F you to the haters, to the people <laughs> who told me I was crazy for a year. Mike, you're crazy. You don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand politics. And I go, we'll see. So the election was one of, it was fantastic. It was vindication. It was watching people who are very bad people, people who I dislike, watching them suffer. And that feels <laughs> very good. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think that's exactly how we felt. Uh, there was a lot of enjoyment in watching people who should freak out, freak out. Just people who deserve their it. shit. Oh, yeah. It was wonderful. Still not tired of winning. Was there no. any element of surprise for you? Um, how quick how, how quick it was done. We had this election party in Huntington Beach, California. You know, we had like hundreds of people there. Very exciting. And people are screaming at like 8 p.m. Yes, Michigan. And I go, no, come on, guys. It isn't this quick. Or I don't know if it's Michigan. It was Ohio. It was one of those states where people said Trump cannot win. Yeah. And people are screaming that he won it already. And the election was more or less over at, what, 9.30? Yeah. The media wouldn't yeah. call it because, you know, they're going to hold on to the very end. But around 9.30, I go, wow, he, he won this thing already. I was surprised at how quickly he won the election. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how we felt, too. I mean, uh, we we... The show before he was elected, we kind of outlined some possibilities, ways he could win. But, well, I, I won't say, I won't speak for Blonde because I didn't predict it. But seeing Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania 
go for Trump. I, I certainly did not think he could pull that trifecta. Maybe one, and probably not Pennsylvania. Seeing that happen. Uh, well, it looked was, like Pennsylvania was going to go to Hillary for about three or four hours there. So I was actually surprised they pulled that one out, um, but did predict it a few weeks before. But Wisconsin, that was shocking to me. I guess yeah. not really in retrospect. It wasn't surprising to you, though, Mike. No, I thought he was. I thought he was going to get get them all. Well, that, and that's what's interesting too. If um, if we get into the recount later, but now that they're actually doing the recount in Wisconsin, Hillary is losing ground, not gaining ground. <laughs> Last I saw, right. she she lost something like fifteen thousand votes. And oh. I don't know what the status is in Michigan, Pennsylvania. They're not going to do. They're going to try to go through the courts, the federal courts. Anyway, we'll get into that mess later if we have time. But I don't know. I just kind of wanted to to get Mike's review of the election. I know um, the topic A here is the alt-right and the antics of one Richard Spencer, which is um, <laughs> I think is more of Blonde's wheelhouse than mine. But uh, I, I'm definitely interested. Well, I don't, I don't want to talk about it too much because I know everybody's kind of exhausted of this. But, um, you know, I've been a big defender of Richard Spencer. I, I've met him once. I, I really liked him. I've heard um, lots of his speeches. But this was something that I was just like, wow, I cannot get behind it. And I've been mad all week about it because I feel like they kind of just detonated all of this momentum that was really accruing for the alt-right. And so I really wanted to hear your perception of this because um, I've heard that you formally have classified yourself as alt-right. I... <clears throat> I haven't found anything to really back that up, but I used to use the term as kind of a wider umbrella, um, and I did not know that Richard Spencer actually coined the term. So if you could talk a little bit about that, um, I think our audience would like to hear it. Yeah, the thing with the thing with alt right is a lot of people viewed alt right as simply being alternative to the GOP establishment, to the globalists. People were calling themselves alt right. Uh, everybody was. It was right. great. I mean, talk about if you have a brand and your brand is growing, and your movement is growing, and your message is growing, and you're on the rise, and then you decide, you know what? You know what? I've decided that I'm tired of rising. I want to just destroy my life right now. Here's what I'm going to do. And that's more or less what happened. It was a, it was a yeah. catastrophe. It was a personal branding catastrophe. It was giving an image to the media that never should have been given to them, and it more or less destroyed the movement. People got mad at me because I said it was bullshit. Ramsey Paul, Jared Taylor, Ann Coulter, Donald Trump, you name it. You name it. Everybody said that is just sheer folly and moronicness. Call it what you will. Everybody right. did. They're mad at me. They're mad at me the most, whatever. I'm used to people being mad at me on the internet. There wasn't a, when Jared Taylor and Ramsey Paul say, you know what, you fucked up. That's when you say, you know what, son of a bitch, maybe I did. Maybe right. I need to figure out what happened rather than say, oh, yeah, you guys just aren't hardcore. You're not hardcore like me. Right, right. And Jared, I Taylor, Jared Taylor has been attacked you know, three decades of this shit. People coming after him, people calling him a neo-Nazi, media hit pieces, people threatening his life. So when people like that are saying this is folly and nonsense, you, you should look in the mirror and fix it. But that is right. what happened. Yeah. And then calling this the Roman salute, I thought that was intellectually dishonest. And he wasn't really standing behind what he did because he did say, um, hail Trump. I mean, what did he expect to happen? Yeah. And I, I, I want to I know most people are aware of this. I would like to just show the 20 seconds or so to give this the full context so people are aware of what's going on. Richard Spencer held this conference in D.C., this NPI conference and gave a speech on his vision for you know, what, what should be politically, I suppose, and closed it with these comments and then the, the audience sort of reacted in this way. Hail Trump! Hail our people! Hail victory! Hail okay, so it's, uh, and I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit of feedback from you, Mike, if you can I don't know if you can turn down your volume just a hair or if you got those big nerdy, <laughs> got the big nerdy headset available. We'll, we'll figure that out as a, a last ditch effort. But um, oh, that's so, that's, so cringe. That, that's exactly the thing that is the big controversy here. And uh, it seems like what frustrates me, and I will admit that I'm not somebody who's keen on, on this movement, somebody who's been involved in it, but I... People, it seems to me people can't see the nuance here of saying there's nothing wrong. The, the defense that Richard Spencer and company have offered, as far as I can tell, 
that you reference, Blonde. One is it's a Roman salute. It has nothing to do with Nazi Germany. Okay, but the other defense I've heard is, well, we were just joking around. It was all just a big joke. It was a big goof. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. You're free to make Nazi jokes. I'm not going to sit here and police Nazi jokes. However, I can say that Nazi jokes are fine, but I can also say there are times at which they are strategically unwise. This would right, be a time right. at which it that is strategically unwise. That was the real problem unwise. I had with this. It was the optics of this. You know, I like I don't even care if there are actual Nazis amongst these people, but like they had to know that this was that this was going to happen. This was going to be the obvious result. This is how the mainstream media would respond to it. Um, and it was just really cocky. And I understand the alt right has these like layers of like fashy irony, and it's 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 cute. I, I get it. But like this was a really cocky move, and they had to know that it was going to blow up in their face. Well, I I think it's funny that they're all calling it the Roman salute now which is cucking. Just say we're neo-Nazis and it's a Nazi salute. Don't be little bitches because they're saying, oh, Mike, you're a cuck, cuckovich, cuck this. You're the ones who won't say, you know what? It's a neo-Nazi salute and I love Hitler. They're the ones trying to say, this is really a Roman salute. It isn't about Hitler. That's being a cuck. Just say, you know what? That is a Hitler salute and you know we're going to say hail Hitler all we want. That's fine. But they're not even saying that. They're going, oh, no, that was like a Roman salute. No, it isn't. So they won't even own what they did. That's so do you think this spells the end of the alt-right? As a brand, yeah, it's destroyed the brand, hmm. which destroys the ability to get the message out. So it I've heard this term new right being thrown around. Is this something that you've coined? Well, I've called myself new right for a long time. I called myself new right before I heard anything about the alt-right. So I just call we're a new right, we're more militant, we're more aggressive, we're nationalistic, we're populist. And if the alt-right wants to be a white identity movement, great, good for them. There needs to be, that's the thing, that's the whole thing about why the drama and nonsense, I don't really care about. Every racial, ethnic, religious group has an identity politics movement. There's you know, black identity, Jewish identity, Muslim identity, Asian Pacific Islander identity, you name it. So I don't have a particular problem with people wanting to be white identity. If that's what people want to do, go do it. But they, if you want to call yourself white identity, then you better not throw up Hitler salutes. That's just dumb. I'm inclined to agree. That's everything I had on Richard Spencer. I think we've kind of talked about the alt-right so All much. Right, so, yeah. that if you want to move on. Yeah, I was going to say, send your hate mail, beautyintheBeta at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. Call us cucks. Uh, fill up our mentions. You know, whatever. Yeah, We're expecting it, whatever. Par for the course. Par for the course. Anyway. Um, okay, so I definitely am interested in talking about your new movie. I see the, the poster in the background there uh, for Silence, your new documentary. I watched it last night. Um, and... If, if people haven't seen it, it's kind of it's a, it's a it's a documentary about free speech that's kind of organized into segments of society, which I thought was pretty interesting. We're gonna have people testify about free speech in the context of the law, in the context of medicine, in the context of science, in the context of journalism. And I was reading about it on your website, and I thought the way you described it was pretty interesting because I noticed there's no narrator, there's no central figure. And you, you had said free speech itself is the protagonist, which I thought was kind of interesting. So I'm curious if you can just speak to how you developed the concept of this movie, uh, how, why you organized it the way you did, all of those sorts of decisions, because I thought that was pretty interesting. Right. The traditional documentary goes, hey, I'm Mike Cernovich, and follow me along this wild, zany journey into the world of free speech and you know, blah, 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 which... That's fine. That's most documentaries. But for something like this, I wanted to do a general interest film that everybody could kind of watch. My next film is going to be very mean, um, very vengeful, very spiteful, very aggressive. This one, I wanted to just say, you know what? There is enough division in America. Why don't we all just kind of talk about, in a civilized way, free speech? I didn't make good guys. I didn't make bad guys. I didn't say, you know what, I'm, I'm in the new right, and there's all these people on the left, and they're the people who are really censoring us, even though that's pretty much the truth. I didn't go there with the white hat, black hat, and just said, let's hear what free speech means to a lot of people in the current year. I did talk to a bunch of people, lawyers, doctors, scientists, technologists, journalists, college kids, comedians. 
and they all they all gave their take on what free speech means, and then we let their dialogue carry the film. A little risky, I'll admit it's, it's a risky film to do it that way because people want more action and car crashes and everything. But you watched it and you said you liked it. Yeah, it, I, I will admit it took me a little while to kind of figure out the organizational structure of it. But a after I had kind of watched it and looked into it on your website and sort of thought about why you chose to organize it the way that you did, it, it made more sense to me. And I kind of I get that and appreciate it now because, as you said, it definitely it's not a film that you feel like there's one person trying to persuade you to a particular worldview. It's a, it's a series of testimonies from a bunch of different people, which I find pretty interesting. And there's, it's not that one central figure, figure that's trying to hammer something into your head. The one person I appreciated the most in the film is Alan Dershowitz, who's a constitutional lawyer. Um, and I've heard of him before, but I haven't looked too much into his work. But he summarized, I think, the the case for free speech and and the reason we value it and how we should approach it in my opinion better than anyone in the film so i'd like to, to play just his commentary really quick and then uh, i have a couple questions for you about it the answer to bad speech is good speech the answer to false speech is true speech the answer to hate speech is unhateful speech you have to be able to respond it's essential to a democracy that people not only have the ability to respond, but the willingness to respond, the determination to respond. If you say that people are entitled to engage in hate speech, and they are, then you have an obligation to answer that hate speech. You cannot simply defend someone's right to say hateful things without yourself getting into the marketplace and defeating their hateful ideas in the open marketplace. So we need more chutzpah. We always need more chutzpah. Everybody can use a little bit of chutzpah. And the First Amendment presupposes chutzpah. And that's the greatest thing that we have, our ability to show that people who have different views from us are wrong. We have the burden of proving them to be wrong. And that's what free speech is all about. And I love this take. I mean, if, if it's not an emergency, if you're not being directly threatened, the answer to speech you don't like is better speech, more speech. Yep. It's such a simple answer. And the answer, of course, is thick skin as well. It makes so much sense to me. And yet it seems like this message has trouble sticking, particularly in the millennial generation. And I'd be curious if you have any thoughts about why. Why doesn't that message stick as well as it should? Because the millennial generation is used to validation nonstop. That's even a challenge that I've had managing millennials. You have to say, oh, here's how you do the job. And, oh, you're doing a great job right now. And then half an hour later, oh, wow, you're doing a great job now. They've been used to helicopter parenting and constant validation. Free speech challenges your ideology, the values you have about the world, your own identity. It's the opposite of validation. That's why nobody says you need free speech to talk about what everybody else is talking about. That's why the funniest thing that, that we do right now is people go, you know, this tech company in Silicon Valley said that they hate Trump. Wow, so courageous, wow. <laughs> and then all these articles come out like, wow, these, they're so brave. Oh, Henry Rollins is actually speaking of the very people who troll me, because I watched some of their stuff. There's a hilarious, and they'll do probably one on me soon enough, but they do a, a Henry Rollins spoken word spoof where it's like, yeah, I'm Henry Rollins and I think what everybody in Hollywood thinks and I'm going to tell you that you're a pussy for not thinking exactly what the mainstream media allows you to think and tells you is permissible to think. And they really nail, they really nail it. And it's hilarious because that's what people call brave now. Oh, you're repeating things yeah. that won't get you fired from a job, right. won't get a hate mob formed around you, won't get you in any trouble. Well, that isn't free speech. You don't need that. One of the favorite lines that didn't make it in the film was a lawyer friend of mine said, free speech is hate speech, because if you didn't hate it, you wouldn't need it to be free. Ah, yeah, true. exactly. So an, another thing I found interesting in this film, uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of the message from a lot of the people is we need to take on this fight. We need to win this fight, obviously not just in the legal realm, making sure that that the government is not intruding on our right to free speech. But I forget who made the comment in the film, but the greatest threat uh, to free speech probably isn't government 
uh, overreach at this point. It's actually, it's, it's kind of social and it's among ourselves. And it's the stuff you're yeah. talking about of getting people fired from a job for tweeting the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. There's one voice in the film who doesn't say to, to be courageous on the, oh, I don't know if you would, maybe that's mischaracterizing it, but he says to keep your head down. And that was uh, Scott Adams. And I want to play what he had to say really quick. And I I'm curious if there's any more context to what he had to say and, and maybe your response to it, or whether you agree or disagree, or maybe you can elaborate on it a little bit more. Here's what Scott Adams had to say. I never anticipated as much backlash as I've gotten. Because like, um, as, as I've said before, the things I get in trouble for are not the things I actually think or say. They're the things that people imagined I thought or imagined I said or saw something out of context. So you don't really predict those um, with accuracy. You know, I'm getting better at predicting what someone can take out of a context, and so I try to avoid it, but it's getting harder. Honestly, I don't think the average citizen should fight for free speech because they're going to lose. All right? the, the average person who just wants to keep their job, if I were giving them advice, I'd say keep your head down. I'm, I'm still getting some echo on your end, Mike, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> Scott Adams says, keep your head down. And I'm curious, since you were there talking to him, I presume, um, if you can maybe elaborate on, maybe there's more context to what he meant there, or if that's, you know, if that's really what he means, um, is that something you agree with or not? Oh, no, that is in context. And I agree with him hundred I told people I'm a, you, you'll, you'll never see me maybe, you know, rarely where I say, if you're anonymous, you're a coward. Even the people who troll me anonymously all day, I, I say you should stay anonymous because Emily Yukis, for example, who's done some really great reporting, Pistachio Girl, as she's known, she was just fired from her job, which I think was a union job, and it might be an unlawful termination lawsuit in Philadelphia. So Emily Yukis was doing um, journalism at the NPI conference, actually, at Hitlergate. She was doing journalism there. She was interviewing people, and these um, SJW hate mobs said that she was a neo-Nazi and everything else, so she was fired from her job. Just now, this is just breaking news right now on Twitter. That's atrocious, right? So if you're, so if you're out in the open under your real name, when the hate mobs come after you, there's a good chance that you're going to lose your job and lose your livelihood. So that's why most people they need they do need to remain anonymous. So so Scott Adams, that was taken well within context, and the sentiment is one I agree with. Now a lot of people say, boy, that isn't courageous, and this isn't that, and Hey, man, we live in reality. <laughs> we live in reality. People need to have a job. You know, Blonde, you've been doxxed, right? Oh, yeah. And they also, they went after her former employer, thinking she still worked there at the time. Luckily, I had quit by then because I knew that this was an inevitability, but I definitely would have gotten fired because my boss and everybody that worked there was uh, very, very left wing. So I would have been screwed. Um, but I think that there's also something to be said about our obligation to share this this risk. I mean, the more of us that are involved in speaking freely, uh, the less of a risk it will be. And I think that fundamentally, we do all kind of share a responsibility to do that, at least to speak freely in our in our own lives, not necessarily on social media. Yeah, oh, I, no, think I agree. It is a collective action problem. The, the reason people get fired from jobs is because so many people remain quiet. If everybody tomorrow would just say, you know what, I'm going to speak my mind, then nobody would get fired. It's sort of like when you watch those um, nature specials, you always think, you know, the gazelles, the buffalo, the bison, they outnumber the lions. There's only like 10 lions. Why don't all the bison just turn on the lions one day, kill all the lions, and, and it would be done with? But are you going to be the bison who goes after the lion knowing there's a good chance that you're going to die? So it's a cl classic collective action problem. That's where we're in. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm being idealistic. Do, yeah. <laughs> But people can support um, people who are on the front lines of free speech. You know, I helped crowdfund. There was a film called The Red Pill, which is about the men's rights movement. And I'm not a men's rights activist. Cassie J was the filmmaker. She had started off as a feminist and she wanted to do a balanced look at the men's rights movement, the good and the bad of it. Right. Well, once her backers found out that it wasn't going to be a hit job on MRAs and that she was actually going to talk about issues like male, male disposability, 
male suicide, how men are sent off to fight and die in wars that don't really mean anything and nobody cares, nobody cares about male suicide. Her backers pulled out completely. So what? I, so she spoke out free speech. She wanted to do a film free speech. So I kicked in $10,000 and my readers and viewers kicked in. I said that I'll match up to $10,000. So my readers kicked in 10 grand. So then I kicked in 10 grand too. That's a way that sort of people who are on the front lines can also support free speech. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really good to see. I mean, it's so great to see a lot of these things being successful in crowdfunding. I think of like your movie, yeah. think of like Dave Rubin, for example, there is clearly an appetite for honesty in media and, and saying whatever it is that you want to say. And of course, accepting the criticism wherever it comes. But I'm really happy to see that people are willing to put a few dollars behind it. And uh, it's awesome. It's great to see. Um, let's see here. I also was curious. So uh, I was reading what you'd written about the movie on your website. And you said um, there were there were three people who might be free speech opponents that you had invited to the movie who declined. And you had mentioned that you would you had offered them the opportunity to choose their clip even and they still declined. Um, I don't know if you're free to speak about that at all, but I'd be curious if, if you can elaborate on that a little bit. Um, just because there's nobody in the movie who's like, well, you know, free speech is pretty dangerous and people can get their feelings hurt and, you know, bad things like that. Right. For sure. I wanted to get the, the radical regressive left social justice for side. So I, I hit up, these are all people who have trolled me before. So they can't say, Mike, I'm too big to be in your movie. Like, no <laughs> motherfuckers. You've all trolled me before. Don't act like you don't know who I am. Don't act like you're too big time. You, you, you know all about me. So I, I reached out to Neil Dash, Chris Saka, and one other person, I can't remember, and a couple others um, through my director. And we said, we want your perspective. We will sign a contract with you, letting you give us, you can shoot it yourself. So you, if you're worried about camera angle or lighting, or we'll shoot it, your choice, 90 second clip. You will choose the clip that goes into the film. Nope, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Oh, Nick did we asked him too. They did they actively it. decline or did they just ignore you? They just ignored you, ah. blew us off. Okay, and, and and those were the only three that you attempted or were there actually, were there more? No, Lauren reached out to a bunch of other people too ah. and didn't hear back. You never do, do you? There is a degree of irony in refusing to participate in a free speech documentary as an opponent <laughs> yeah. of free speech. I mean, that's that's kind of nice. Well, have you have you watched my periscopes? I'll go to protests. I was just in a protest today, actually, a protest against Breitbart. Essentially, the left wingers who want to censor Breitbart and Steve Bannon and all that. OK, I'll go up to them and I'll say, hey. You know, we're live on Periscope. I'm not going to edit you. I'm not going to checkmate you. What brings you out here? I don't want to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk. You're in a protest, motherfucker. You know, yeah. what do you mean you don't want to talk? We saw that at the RNC time and time again, or they'd play music or shout in your face, or just anything not to talk to you, cover their faces. I'm like, you brought yourself here. I didn't even know you were a right. person until I saw yeah. you at this protest. Idiot. God. They try to they try to block your lens in a public yeah, block area your lens, and all yeah. this stuff. You're making us feel unsafe. I don't care. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Why are you in a I'm public place house. protesting then? Yeah. Your, your bedroom is your safe space. I don't care about out here. It's unreal. Unfortunate, though, that they didn't want to talk about it. Uh, that, that would be very interesting to see, but wishful thinking to think that they might. Um, one other thing that you said in the movie, there's a clip uh, where you speak um, and you say that it's not just the SJWs who try to silence us. We, we focus on them because that's kind of a cultural battle, but you mentioned big money is trying to silence people too, but that's not really elaborated on. I'm curious if you can speak to what you mean when you say big money is trying to silence people. Yeah, I mean, advertisers right now are pulling out of Breitbart. Right. Mm -hmm. So people always say, who controls the media? And we all know the line, who controls the media? We all know the traditional answer people like to give. The, the answer is advertisers control the media. The advertise if they're not going to fund your stuff, if you can, that's how Rush Limbaugh show has been attacked, is if you can convince people to pull out all advertising, then how are they going to make any money? Now, right now, fortunately, there's crowdfunding there, there are other solutions right now, but they're even trying to get people banned from crowdfunding sites. So yeah, right now Breitbart, 
there, there's a whole collective of left-wing SJWs who are going through and anytime they see an ad on Breitbart's page, they're contacting the advertisers saying Breitbart is a hate speech website, they're anti-Semitic, they're racist, or this, or that. And then if, if big money advertising pulls out, then how can Breitbart remain in business? That's going to be a struggle, right? Yeah. yeah, I guess the only thing I worry about there is is why shouldn't the advertisers be free to support or whatever message they want or don't want to support or not support. But to your point, if they're being kind of bullied into it, maybe it's not a true reflection of their decision anyhow. Yeah. I see. I kind of yeah, see the bullying just, angle. Yeah, they're they're just don't want it. They don't want to deal with 10 people emailing them every day. So they're giving in. It isn't a big fat like Kellogg cereal, right? Kellogg's is boycotting Breitbart. So Breitbart people are boycotting Kellogg's, which they should anyway because the stuff is poison. <laughs> the idea, though, is there's no reason not to advertise on Breitbart. It's a targeted demographic. It's a consumer demographic. Right. Customers want to buy your products. There's no business reason to not advertise on Breitbart. And then they go, oh, yeah, it's a values thing. A corporation exists to make money to maximize profit for its shareholders. There is no, it is against our corporate values. What corporate values? Factory farming? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, pollution, um, topsoil erosion. Get, get real, right? There's no values thing. It's a couple left-wing liberals within the company who are making these decisions and trying to say, well, our corporation uh, values opposes. It's, it's a total scam. Well, it is interesting too that if you buy that to be the whole story, and again, you know, I, I think they're free to support or whatever they want or not in line with their values, however they see fit. But if you believe their line, then something became offensive to their values overnight. Like, why were you advertising on Breitbart in the first place? I, I would believe them if they never advertised there. Or they haven't for a long time or there was some crazy event that exposed a whole bunch of new information. Um, I guess presumably... I don't know. It, it seems hard to believe that you don't that you advertise on Breitbart without being familiar with some of their stories or content, perhaps right, who right. yeah who Steve Bannon is. Uh, if you're paying them tons and tons of money, you'd think somebody looked into that a little bit. Maybe not though. I mean, if Mike's right, maybe it's just look. Here's a website with millions of unique visits a month. We just want our cornflakes ad there, and we don't care if Nazis see it because Nazis still give us money like anybody else. I don't know. Yeah, it's an ad network. They, yeah. they don't know. They sign up with ad networks. So in that uh, regard, they don't approve. They don't approve everyone uh, individually. Yeah, but that, that is sense. another way, again, that big money, big advertising can control the message and control what people kind of talk about. And that's why silence is a concept. It's fascinating. You know, do you ever think I always use the example? Friend of mine, A.J. Delgado, Cuban, Harvard Law grad, Trump supporter. Why is not A.J. Delgado? on every episode of CNN and every news channel and everything. Well, because if you're a conservative woman who's a Latina and you support Trump, CNN isn't going to put you on there because the narrative on the Clinton News Network is that Trump hates everybody and they all hate him, so they try to spread it. So if you want to be on TV and you want to be a player and a pundit, it's suicide. It's career suicide to say I'm a Latina woman Trump oh, yeah. supporter. Instead, you have to be a liberal. That's another way that the narrative is manufactured in ways that aren't obvious and apparent to people. That's the real power. You have to be careful what you say or you won't get on TV. So then people watch this stuff on TV and they think, oh, this is what people actually believe. No, they're just saying what they have to say to get on TV because you'll never be on TV if you say something counter narrative. Hmm. Right. That's definitely true. My, so I hear you talk a lot uh, about your own building your own platforms and this fake news thing. It's it's really alarmed me. I was watching this. I have Dave one Cullen more question on the documentary today. if I can. Oh, sorry. Can Go I, ahead. Can I, can I clomp on you just a little bit? Um, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but the only other thing I was curious about on the on the documentary is because I'm everyone in the film seems to be pretty much a, kind of a free speech fundamentalist, which I very much appreciate and I very much support. However, one of the things that makes me nervous about Trump is when he says a lot of things that don't seem to be very fundamentalist pro-free speech, as in if you, if you burn the flag, you should, uh, okay. you know, you should face a bunch of penalties. Um, uh, we're going to open up the libel laws, for example. So he says some things that I think are 
that give me pause as someone who agrees with a lot of the people in your film. I'm curious if you share that concern or if you have some other explanation for it. Well, you'll notice when it comes to Trump, and this actually was with the alt-right too, short of something really massive, I don't criticize people who are kind of working for an agenda that is helpful or useful. So you, you're not you, you're not going to see me on Twitter saying, oh yeah, Trump believes we should punish people for burning flags. Isn't that great? I just don't talk about it, especially okay. because enough people are going to talk about it. But of course we have a right to burn a flag, right? Of course we have the right to. You have the right to burn a Quran. So what, what, what I find interesting is that we have all these hypocrisy where people say, I have a right to burn a flag, and I say, okay, well, I'm going to burn a Quran. Whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait a minute there, buddy. Or I have the right to, the New York Times will say, we have a right to burn a flag. But when people are murdered because somebody drew a cartoon of Muhammad, the New York Times says, we're not going to post the cartoons on our website or our newspaper because that would offend Muslims. But yeah. they'll post a picture of a flag being burned, right? That's the free press. So, yeah, there's a lot that Trump is saying about free speech I don't agree with. As president, he sh shouldn't be saying that kind of stuff. But Trump is going to Trump. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so strange because part of his appeal is just shooting from the hip and saying things that are outside the boundaries of what has been acceptable politically, historically. So you think he's kind of this free speech champion in a way. And then he says things that are just, I don't know, whatever. I think he's surrounding himself with smart minds who might push back on that. Anyway. I don't, uh, I don't think he's a free speech champion. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, in terms of what he says and expanding what is acceptable in the public realm. That's right. what I mean. Yeah. He's anti-political correctness. Yes. He's not necessarily pro-free speech. Yes. So I'll, and, I'll, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's the interesting paradox. Like the, it, it's right. it's strange that he seems to operate that way. Yeah. Anyway, I'm pro. You know everything. Burn a flag. Burn a Quran. Throw up a hail Hitler salute. Be a black nationalist. Say fuck the police. You know I'm pro just everything. Yeah. Pro madness, other than inciting violence and, and child pornography. Other otherwise, yeah, I'm I'm pro everything. I just Throw happen it. to have anti PC views. Trump has anti-PC views and says anti-PC things. But I wouldn't say that Trump is a big, um, what you would call, advocate of free speech for everybody. Yeah, I mean, you heard Alan Dershowitz talking about the need for a thick skin. And I don't think Trump has a sufficiently developed thick skin yet. Hopefully that will change. Uh, but anyway, but I, he's I, a populist. I mean, I think yeah. that he'll roll with the punches. He's shown himself to be relatively flexible. I don't think that his ego is as fragile as everybody seems to think. I mean, he made it through this just horrific <laughs> primary and election season. The guy's yeah. got yeah, I mean, let's talk. Let's talk about the ego thing. So one thing that I find fascinating about all the Trump criticism is people say Trump has a fragile ego. Trump has a fragile ego. All right. So one day Shauna said, Shauna said, Michael. I want to work for you. I want to be your social. I want to be your chief marketing officer. And I go, okay, you can, you can manage my Twitter. And she goes, oh my God, I can't believe what people are saying. And I said, <laughs> yeah. To, you know, to do what I do for a living, to do what Trump does for a living, you can't have thin skin. You would be triggered, you know, day and night. I mean, I'm reading the YouTube live chats right now. And, you know, whatever. People are insulting me all the time. If, if you had... Yeah. If, you, if Trump truly had a thin skin, he wouldn't be online. But what Trump does yeah. and what I do is you just create drama, right? So then people go, oh, yeah, Cernovich, he's always – he's so defensive. He has a persecution complex. Nah, dude, I'm, I'm creating drama <laughs> because people like it mm. and it's fun and everybody has a good time. <laughs> but if you had a thin skin, you could – you would quit – Trump would have quit the internet a long time ago. Yeah. I would have quit the internet a long time ago. Or business, and in several walks of his life, he wouldn't have been able to uh, operate sufficiently if he had a really fragile, truly fragile ego. <clears throat> anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt there, but did you want to talk uh, fake news? Oh, yeah. Um, so I watched Dave Cullen today, and he was talking about Gab and uh, Minds.com and us moving to platforms because, you know, people have been getting demonetized and banned from Twitter. 
Um, and I know you talk a lot about building your own platform and guerrilla mindset. And so I was just wondering what you think that people like us can do to insulate ourselves from uh, this fake news story. I, I can't I kind of can't believe that they're doubling down on this. I thought that when Trump was elected, they would kind of retreat. But like CNN and all the mainstream media outlets, they are just going for it. They are going to go down with the ship. Um, so what what can we really do to protect ourselves and protect our platforms? Well, they, they want to ban. They got the media got their asses kicked on social media, and rather than say, rather than say, oh, we need to ban social media because that looks bad. The optics of that are bad. They came up with this brand of fake news. So what they're trying to do is bring. And what a coincidence! What a coincidence that fake news just so happens to be what people talk about on social media. All right. the all the polling that said Trump was going to lose and had no chance went win a primary. Well, that's real news, even though it's wrong, even though it's a hoax. All the reporting about there's weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and we better go in there. He's got nuclear bombs. Well, that was fake and people actually died. There was a story, you two might be too young to remember this, but before the first war in Iraq, this woman testified before Congress that Iraqi soldiers were going into Kuwaiti hospitals and taking babies out of the incubators and smashing them against the wall, right? Well, that was fake. Didn't happen. Didn't happen, right? Media reported it's happening. So funny how none of that is fake news. None right. of that is fake news, right? Fake news is what people talk about on social media. And we are kicking the media's ass on social media, getting our message across. So rather than say we're going to so, uh, uh, censor social media, they're saying we really have to take on the problem of fake news. But that has backfired on them already because there's been so much fake news from the mainstream media that we immediately rebranded them the fake news. It's unreal and it's so transparent. I saw, I don't remember who it was, but they were calling out Paul Joseph Watson um, for making up the Project Veritas story with, with the Trump, uh, you know, where they were planting people. <laughs> but they didn't say, they didn't say anything about Project Veritas. They just said Paul Joseph Watson, who like invented this story. It's like, no, no, Project Veritas, James O'Keefe worked for months, you know, this is all on video. You can verify it yourself on YouTube right now. And, and it seems so transparent to me. So how can they possibly be doubling down and expect us not to see through this? Well, because they've won. They've won so much that they're not used to losing. But they they're, lost. I, I, <laughs> I mean, they lost. I, I, I actually read the chat. Speaking of fake news, is there's a joke that goes, it was the hacker known as 4chan, because <laughs> the media used to report on 4chan as if it were like a dude. Yeah. They would say, oh, yeah, 4chan, 4chan hacked this guy or this hacker hacker group or this hacking collective. And, of course, that isn't that isn't it at all, right? But funny how that isn't fake news, right? Fake news is only is only social media. But the media, they're petulant. They're so used to getting their way all the time that they've lost the ability to argue. They've lost the ability to, to get a read on sentiment. The, the example I always use as I go, as hated as I am on the internet, as hated as I am, more people trust me than trust the mainstream media. So if I'm the mainstream, if, if 96% of people said, I don't even trust Mike Cernovich, I would say, holy shit, <laughs> this is a catastrophe. Let yeah. me figure out where I went wrong. Let me figure it out, right? But according to the most recent data, only 6% of people trust the mainstream media. And rather than say, okay, this is, again, if Tylenol, if, you know, pick a company, Tylenol, Tide, uh, Campbell Soup. If 96% of people didn't even trust the, the product or the brand, there's not a company in the world that wouldn't say, this is a catastrophe. We better figure right. out what's going on. Well, yeah. The media says, oh, well, people don't trust us. Well, it must be Mike Cernovich and Paul Joseph Watson's fault because of Twitter. Yep. They don't take any ownership. It's that refusal to get introspective, which we've seen from all the segments of the left after this election. It's really frustrating. And and I think you, you explained that pretty well. It's like, even if you take everything they say as true, like the, the example they use is a guy, there's like one or two guys who actually created real fake news, like 100% fabrications. And wow. they're like these, it's kind of the straw man. And they use that to extrapolate about Infowars and Breitbart and all these other places to say that they're fake. Well, even if you grant the premise that those are 100% fake, like this one example they use, the question still becomes, why are they popular? 
Like what, what has turned people away from you, NBC, CNN, ABC, all these places, and onto these quote unquote fake outlets? Presumably because you're not doing a good job and people are looking for an alternative. Maybe, I mean, what will it take for them to reevaluate their work? When will we get to that point? When 100% of people distrust them, when 100% of people turn it off, right. what is I mean, it going to take? I mean, it sounded like after the election, there was going to be some introspection, like Glenn Beck said some stuff. And then I saw some stuff on Morning Joe that made me like a little bit hopeful that they were going to be like, all right, we need to reassess our position and what we've done during this election cycle. Um, but then they just doubled down like assholes. So now I'm like, ah, well, I guess we celebrated for too long and now we have to get back to being vigilant. And the Damn New York it. Times did that too. The New York Times had that letter from the editor. It was like, they didn't yeah. really apologize, but they said, we clearly don't understand what's going on out there in America, <laughs> and we're going to do a better Dude, job. disconnected. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, speaking of fake news, um, so here's what I noticed at the RNC and the DNC. All these Twitter pundits who go, all these Twitter pundits who say, the alt-right, they live in mom's basement, and they're just, they don't never leave the house. That's projection. Because the Twitter pun is Matty Iglesias. I was out. I marched 10 miles the first day with every pro-Bernie, pro-Jill Stein, anti-Hillary protest. At one point, there were 10,000 people in Franklin Delano Roosevelt Park across from DNC. You know how many mainstream journalists I saw? All these Twitter people? Zilch. Matt Iglesias wasn't there. Um, Ezra Klein. Brian Stelter, Jake Tapeworm, you, know, you name you name one of these people, one of these journalists. Megyn Kelly wasn't there. They, they weren't out there. They don't actually do news. They don't actually do reporting at all. They're all on Twitter typing about, oh, well, here's what Trump tweeted today, and they call that journalism. That right. isn't real news. Real news is going out there, actually talking to people, telling those people's story, investigating the facts. There's almost none of that in the mainstream media. Hmm. Yeah, this this election shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody if you had any kind of connection with the middle class or the average, you know, the the plight of the average American. <clears throat> I'm amazed anybody's still surprised by this, actually. Well, I was worried that I was in the bubble. I mean, even anecdotally, it's like, I don't, I know some people who will vote Hillary reluctantly, maybe, but everybody right. I know who's Trump is kind of rah, rah Trump. Yeah. And everybody yeah. I know who's Hillary is like, I might vote if I feel like taking lunch you know, if I yeah. even work at lunch. Yeah. And we had um, some hard talks about that around September and October. Yeah. We were like, are we in an echo chamber? Like, do we have all this confidence that Trump is going to win? Are we the ones that are disillusioned here? Because all the people I had surrounded myself with, you know, my family, they're like, you need to get real. Like, <laughs> start being realistic about a Hillary presidency because it's your future. And I just felt confused and isolated and thinking maybe I was in the echo chamber. Lo and behold. Yeah, I talked to all my Uber drivers. Yeah, that helped yeah. me too. Yeah, yeah that, that gave me that gave me a good sentiment is I talked to every Uber driver and what I noticed to a person, if they weren't pro-Trump, they were going to reluctantly vote for Hillary. Well, I'm gonna vote for Hillary. I'm gonna vote for Hillary. So most people I talked to, my Uber drivers, most of them, I'm gonna vote for Hillary. But here's what I know. And I wrote about it like why the polls don't matter, enthusiasm gap. It is now December 4th. In less than a month, January 1st, people are going to say, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to save more money. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to work a second job. I'm going to do big things. But they're not going to. It's all bullshit, right? You can say anything. That doesn't mean anything, right? So right away, if there's not enthusiasm, if there isn't buy-in, if there isn't a feeling of vibe and aura and energy inside of you, then you're not going to do anything. So when I talk to all these people, I go, you're probably not even going to vote, are you? And they're like, hey, you know, I, I probably will. Or, yeah, you know. So they would, they would admit this. They say, I'm probably not. So that's the enthusiasm gap. So Trump actually got, and this is another reason, I don't want to talk too much about the alt-right stuff, but this is another reason people got to be careful with the, um, the whatever, call them Roman salutes, call them whatever they want. Trump actually got fewer votes than Romney, okay? What won Trump the election was, yes, white working class voters, but also the utter lack of enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. So the Democrats lost the election as much as Trump won it. And people aren't, that isn't filtered down to people yet, which is, again, by, by number of votes, Trump actually underperformed Romney among white voters. Among hmm. white voters in total, 
Trump underperformed Mitt Romney. So when people are telling me why identity politics won this election and we got to go all in with why identity politics, I'm saying you guys better be real careful with that and actually actually look at what happened with the numbers, right? A, 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 if, if Hillary had run, if there had been maybe Joe Biden, it's a different election. Different that's election. one of... Uh, Joe Biden won, he might have... If Joe Biden might have won. That's uh, interestingly, we probably won't have time to get into it, but um, that's what Jill Stein's saying about Michigan. And so Trump, Trump wins Michigan by 10,000 votes. Jill Stein saying, well, clear, there's 75,000 ballots in which, you know, they left the president blank. That's probably error. Very well could be error. That's just crazy. And it's like, yeah, but you were run. I mean, two wildly unpopular candidates. You can't underestimate the degree to which people in Detroit, especially yeah. might be like, look, I'm going Democrat down the line, but I'm not, I'm not voting for Hillary. I'm just not yeah. doing it. Here's my ballot. I, I think that's entirely plausible in the context of this election. And she seems to think that's crazy. And it's makes perfect sense to me. Why? They have all those local problems. People wanted to vote for some issues, um, some people, and they just opted out on president. That seems totally feasible to me. Yep. Fucking Jill yeah. Stein. God Hillary damn it. lost it. Hillary. And that was another reason that I was sure Hillary Clinton was going to was going to lose. I went to the DNC, man. You wouldn't believe that if you watch my Periscope, you would. But when I went to there, I go, what the fuck? Where are all, there are people everywhere? It was like a small city. Yeah. But if you watch the news, all the headlines of the news said the DNC is uniting around Hillary. No, <laughs> 2,000 Sanders delegates walked out of the fucking convention. Yeah. I was there live, you know, streaming it. God. So I'm talking to yeah. all these people and I'm thinking, these people, they all hate Hillary. So the media was telling people, oh, yeah, that. Uniting around Hillary Clinton at the DNC, not true. Meanwhile, at the Republican National Convention, like three dudes said they didn't like Trump and voted for Cruz. And then there were like a protest of 20 people. The media's like, yeah. holy shit, pandemonium at the RNC. We got practically blood in the streets and there's a coup going on inside. None of that. No, we, no. we went to the we RNC thinking it was going to be crazy. Yeah. yeah, it was that, mild. We're we like, we picked the it? wrong convention. Yeah, we should have gone. We, we thought the, the RNC was going to be insane. Yeah. We went to the DNC, and the DNC was the place to be for protest action. Apparently, so we missed out. Picked wrong. Yeah. Well, the, the, here's the funny thing: is that the RNC was so boring, and I spent a bunch of money to go. I was I spent like five grand because I had to get an Airbnb late, and so I spent like five grand to go to RNC, thinking I'm going to get this great footage. It was so terrible. I wasn't going to go to the DNC. I wasn't going to go. And then a friend of mine said, well, why don't, you know, why don't we road trip it, you know, to DC and hang out in DC and then we'll road trip it to Philly. I go, all right, YOLO, nothing will happen. I'll go. I get there the first day I sleep in. I don't really care. I, you know, not paying attention. I finally get up and I don't see anything. And then I see this March and I was like, what the fuck is this? It was huge. Right. I, I March, I go so far with them. And then I go, oh shit, there's barricades ahead. I wonder if the police are going to break this up. And they go, no, 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 buddy. No, no, no. That was the march earlier. And I go, what do you mean the march earlier? He goes, oh, yeah, there's been like, a, there was already another march that was bigger than this, and they're already there. And I thought, oh, shit. This was <laughs> lit. It was fun. It was fun. Good. Oh, man. Well, Chose wrong, Skag. Oh, well. We I got, know. We got some that, good footage. Yeah, it was still worth it. We still had fun. Um, but it to pivot fun. off the, uh, the, the fake news conversation, the last thing I wanted to get into was a little bit of discussion on this Ohio State attack this week. And uh, obviously the, the attack is awful itself, but just like uh, Orlando, one of the things that really bothered me was the news coverage of it. And it seems like an Orlando repeat. If you go back, Orlando happened shortly after Blonde and I started this show. And I, I think it was maybe like the first five or six episodes. And we just kind of lamented the fact that this horrible attack happened. And what are we talking about? We're talking about gun control. We're talking about like, did he secretly hate gays for some reason? We're not talking about the, <laughs> the admitted motive of the attacker who calls up and says, Hey, I'm doing this for, uh, for ISIS. Cause they're pretty cool. Uh, no, we don't worry about that. And we have a very similar fact pattern, perhaps even more explicit with what happened at Ohio state. And I turn on the Today Show, as I always do every morning, eating my cereal, not Kellogg's anymore, because I'm, you know, I'm good on free speech and all that stuff. 
And this is the report that shows up on the Today Show. Let me pull that up here. Uh. I'm Stephanie Goss, live at Ohio State University, where you can see students returning to class nearly 24 hours after this campus was under attack and on lockdown. Authorities say a student plowed into fellow students, faculty, and staff. This morning we have new details about the suspect's past as well as a post that law enforcement officials say he left on his Facebook page just before the attack. Law enforcement officials tell NBC News Artan posted a rant that attacks on Muslims worldwide, quote, led to a boiling point. I can't take it anymore. The post ends on a chilling note. By Allah, I am willing to kill a billion infidels in retribution for a single disabled Muslim. Authorities are still a long way from knowing what motivated Artan to attack his fellow students at Ohio State. Investigators are looking in to see if, if Artan was given any assistance or any direction, but they are not ruling out the possibility that he acted on his own and was motivated by something personal in his life. <sighs> Okay, so <laughs> he literally wrote a note saying, by Allah, I will kill the infidels. Explaining his motive, outlining his motive. We're still waiting to see what the motive Authorities is. Authorities are a long time. A, a friend of mine said to me on Twitter, uh, Bad Beats, friend of the show, I, I showed him this report and he said, imagine if I uh, wrote a note about me being disgruntled with my wife and kid and then I killed them. And then what would the media report then? And, and I said, presumably they'd say authorities wouldn't rule out Islam in that case, if it follows. I mean, that we'd have to blame something tangential like that. But it is amazing to me that we're getting explicit uh, admissions of motive. And I'm not saying that you don't do a full investigation after and try to figure out all the facts that you can. But this idea that, oh, we're still, <laughs> look, it's, it's wide open. Nobody has any idea what's going on here. Who knows why I did it? Might have been some girl in class. We're looking into it. Unbelievable. It could have been something personal. That yeah. was my favorite part of that. What? Well, there's, there's like a playbook. Not only do they not know the motive, but the very next day they say, Muslims are afraid of Islamophobia, Islamophobics because of this attack, right? So they, they say, oh, we don't know why this Muslim kid in Ohio killed them. We don't know why this Orlando shooting killed them, even though they said Allah Akbar. But when it was translated, if you watch the original translation of the 9-11 call, Orlando shooting, he said, praise be to God. So they didn't say Allah, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Remember that? I remember yeah. the original. Yeah, the transcript was all redacted, too. Like the FBI had gone through and said, like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have that. Can't say that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. So you can expect whenever there's a terrorist attack by a Muslim terrorist, the next day they're going to say, boy, Islam and Muslims, they're just really concerned now about this hatred coming from everybody else. There's never any idea that like, hey, maybe the hatred and bigotry is coming from Islam. Maybe you need to correct it. No, 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 no. They're always the victims, perpetual victims. And isn't it, I mean, the other thing about this story too was you saw the reports of shooter, you know, shooter on, on Ohio state campus. Those turned out to be incorrect. And then everyone on Twitter who had the gut or the knee jerk reaction of gun control had to kind of backpedal. Right. And some people said, well, Hey, just cause there was no gun involved in this case, doesn't mean we don't need to clean up all the loopholes and all these magic bu buzzwords we use with gun control and all this well, stuff. Tim Kaine, but, um, Hillary's VP candidate, Tim Kaine even said, this is another senseless shooting on his Twitter. <laughs> these people are idiots. And, and, and this is, I mean, it is obviously both of these incidents, Orlando, Ohio State, thankfully nobody died at Ohio State, but Orlando more than made up for it, unfortunately. And what are we doing? We're seeing a, re a repeat of events with similar motives, similar fact pattern. And, and we're pretending like, oh, it's, it's this lone wolf. We can't really figure out what's going on. There's no real way to solve it other than banning tools that right. one of them used i mean if if you can do it if you're going to do it with a car and a knife i mean common sense knife control common sense car control we need to get on it it's so frustrating to see a total lack of honesty about the, the well motives. what about a lack of self-awareness why did she even bother reading the letter that outlines very specifically yeah. what his motive was and then follow it up by saying that there's no motive. Yeah. It's like she doesn't even understand the co she has no cognitive dissonance about what she's doing. She doesn't realize the hypocrisy. These people are just 
zombies. She's just reading the news. I don't know. I don't know. But I just, I, I'm so bummed that it appears we are content to allow these things to happen without being honest and evaluating why they happen. And until then, the only real takeaway you can have is do what you can to protect yourself. Because apparently we're going to have to get used to this, I guess. That's, that's going to be a normal that we have to get used to. Anyway, uh, we booked Mike for an hour and our hour is up. So unless you got more items you want to, you want to discuss, I'm good to close it there. I'm good too. Thank you so much for coming on, Mike. Good talking to you guys finally in in person other than just Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well that was, uh, that was our guest, Mike Cernovich. You can find him at, uh, dangerandplay.com. You can find all his work there. You can follow him on Twitter. That is at Cernovich. You can see all his uh, periscopes that he talks about, taking on all the crazy people, telling the truth, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, Thank you, as always, to our live viewers and live chatters, who are toxic, of course, uh, but they always keep us honest shitposting away. While we try to maintain sincerity, if you're listening on YouTube or on an audio platform on demand, thank you kindly as well for supporting the show. Remember, there's more of the show on those audio platforms, including the new call-in show. We do those every Wednesday night. Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean, Stitcher. Catch them there. And they're all linked conveniently in the description for you. You can always email us. That's beautyinthebeta at gmail.com. Take your questions, requests, or suggestions there. We'll be back next Sunday, because if it's Sunday, sorry, Chuck Todd, it's not Meet the Press. It's Beauty and the Beta. We'll see you then. <laughs>